think when we've had a good day, it's those small victories. When someone walks in, I mean, my third day here, I spent five, six hours uh, talking to social services and had to run up all the way up the flight pool, but I was able to get somebody who just got out of treatment housed. And, uh, you know, a good day is when I can walk home and I can, I can go home, uh, you know, spend time with my partner, spend time with my kids, and I can know that we've seen people housed. Hello, I'm Eric Anderson. The voice you just heard belongs to Chris Randall. He is the featured guest in Episode 10, Season 2 of YXE Underground. The COVID-19 pandemic has affected all of us here in Saskatoon in so many different ways. For a city's homeless population, the pandemic has made life even more challenging. Services have been reduced, shelters have had to limit their beds. The issue of affordable housing is top of mind for many people in our city. And that's why the work that Chris Randall is doing to help homeless people is so important. We'll meet Chris in this episode of YXE Underground. First of all, I hope all of you are doing well, that you're staying safe and healthy, that you're washing your hands lots. I hope you're doing mentally well as well. I, I don't know about you, but I found the last few weeks just to be kind of a challenge in terms of it's, it's hitting me that this is what life is going to be like for the foreseeable future. And I kind of miss my old life a little bit, my life from four months ago. But then I meet a guy like Chris Randall, and I can't help but feel inspired by his passion and dedication to his community and especially his empathy. For years, Chris has been a strong voice for affordable housing in Saskatoon. He was working at Saskatoon Housing Partnership when the pandemic started, but is now the support program manager at the FASD Network of Saskatchewan. When COVID-19 arrived in Saskatoon in March, there was a lot of energy focused on hospitals and acute care services, and rightly so. But I was struck by a few news stories looking at how vulnerable our city's homeless population was to the virus and how the services they relied on were shutting down because of COVID-19. Chris knew right away that the people he's been working with for years were going to need a lot of help and that it would take people from all sectors of the nonprofit and support services community to deliver that help. He was instrumental in creating two hubs, one at the Salvation Army Temple off of 8th Street and the other at White Buffalo Youth Lodge, which is where I'm standing right now. These hubs are home to many organizations like Out Saskatoon and Aid Saskatoon that are helping people get through this very challenging time. I wanted to learn more about these hubs and how Chris was able to work with so many people to create them. So I met him on a sunny Saturday morning earlier this month and we went for a walk through Riversdale. I started by asking Chris if he could take me back to the days before the pandemic started and how he was able to transition so quickly to this new reality. So the transition happened pretty quickly. Um, we, I was working at Saskatoon Housing Partnership and uh, had began to work on the point in time count. So that's a, a homeless count that's actually coordinated across Canada um, and sort of implemented by the federal government for 61 communities to do a count across uh, Canada of homelessness in our urban communities. And so I was working on that. Um, I've worked in the homeless sector in, in, 
several uh, different roles over the last couple of years uh, working on that and really quickly the conversation when this all started I think seven eight weeks ago um, was you know how do we you know can we continue this work how do we uh, serve the community um, that's needed and really quickly a, a group of us came together and started discussing what needed to happen in light of um, you know COVID-19 and, and, and the issues around that and, and our concerns about how it would affect the most vulnerable in our community. So when, when you say group came together, uh, who, who was in the group? And then like, was it just as simple as like, did someone send a text to one another or, or like, how, how did you recognize like, okay, we've got to get on this right away? Sure. So, um, you know, I work in the homeless serving sector, homeless and housing serving uh, sector, affordable housing and homelessness. Uh, a lot of us are very well connected to each other. A lot of us, um, you know, are friends with each other and, you know, connect whether we're, you know, within the same agency or, or work in, in multiple different agencies across the community and uh, you know really quickly you know we, we discuss sort of facets of our work and how we can move um, different things forward uh, the, the piece that I was working on with the count um, actually requires partnership from just about every homeless serving agency in the community uh, a lot of the agencies that work with um, with with people who are homeless or vulnerable to homelessness were on uh, committees as we were working towards organizing this count uh, two years ago when we did it I think we had just over 30 agencies participate and we had uh, had determined that there was 475 individuals in our community who were at homeless uh, at that point in time and so uh, we, we, you know, I think initially it just started with like text messages. Hey, you hear what's going on? You hear about, you know, what, what is this going to mean? You know, there's, it's not like we have, you know, the knowledge that we have now where we start to see the, the, the shutdowns and, you know, the social distancing. We were starting to hear some of that. I think a big thing for me was, uh, you know, hearing in the news when the prime minister, um, got off the plane that one day, I think eight, seven, eight weeks ago, and announced that he was going into social isolation. I was like, wow, this is a significant thing, because I'd heard a couple things about COVID and, uh, and the coronavirus, but you never really know how big of a situation things are going to be. And then the NBA uh, lockdown, I remember uh, hearing that on the radio. And so, you know, we're texting friends and we're talking to people and, you know, we're discussing what it's going to mean for the work that we're doing and for the, for, uh, you know, the community that we serve. And uh, so, you know, as we started to have those conversations, we, you know, things ratcheted it up really quickly in terms of what we're hearing from different levels of government, about need to social isolate and potential lockdowns happening, you know, across, you know, country and things like that. And so we started to um, discuss what, what that would mean for the homeless community and for those who are at risk of homelessness in Saskatoon. And so initially those conversations were very much by text message and then uh, it became a little bit more coordinated with like an official sort of facilitation. And I definitely, uh, you know, don't claim to have led all that, but... Um, because I was very much invested in a project 
that was looking to count uh, homelessness in Saskatoon and very, very early on realized that that just simply could not continue. Um, I offered to you know, step into the role of coordinating uh, the launch of of two hubs as it was at that point, uh, one at White Buffalo Youth Lodge and then one over at uh, the Salvation Army Temple off of on off of 8th Street on Bateman Crescent. And uh, the goal there was as people needed uh, housing um, or help with homelessness or help with uh, income assistance, needed advocacy work and all sorts of things like that, that we could have a hub that was open to them. We really quickly learned that social services shut down its main office. They just reopened that about a week ago. So there was about six weeks where we were it. You know, if you needed help with uh, home, you know, housing in our community, if you were homeless on the street, um, you know, you could go to a shelter. Um, but if you needed help getting uh, income assistance if you're released from hospital or jail or incarceration or anything like that or were new to the community you know the normal supports that were in place just simply weren't there and then also to sort of limit the spread of uh, the virus um, a lot of the community agencies felt like the most responsible thing was to shut their doors and so and so in you know really in agreeing with that you know where are the community that we serve where are they gonna go what where are they gonna get their needs met and so we really you know start talking and uh, what began as a you know group of I uh, probably five or six of us um, you know texting and calling each other um, really quickly morphed into about a week or ten days into it uh, a zoom call uh, with over 90 individuals represented from community agencies across Saskatoon you went from three to four to 90 yes. in this Wow. So like what what I'm what I'm just thinking, yeah, which way should we go? Remember this way? Okay. Okay, so you I think you just did a a wonderful job of illustrating how how quickly things happened <laughs> not only in, in Canada but North America but then <laughs> locally too. Um, but then too like how quickly you guys had to identify what was needed in your community, what what you know skills you could bring to it. Mm -hmm. So you, you mentioned 475 yes. homeless people. Can you explain, Chris, then what 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 did those 475 people need that you could that you could help provide? For sure. So, I mean, uh, needs vary, and they vary by situation. Homelessness isn't something where it's a one-size-fits-all situation that people experience. And, you know, everything from, you know, when we'd done our count two years ago, we, we you know, were really able to dig into what uh, homelessness looked like in our community, uh, the high numbers of Indigenous homelessness and uh, why that was with some of the uh, colonial history and, and things like that. And, and then, you know, break down with, uh, you know, children, um, you know, breakdown of homelessness individuals who are women with children, the breakdown of male homelessness individuals. So we really had a good idea of what that looked like. Um, and then, you know, what when we'd done that work two years ago, we really felt like 
what that work would allow us to do and allow the community of Saskatoon to do would to me make decisions around programming that was really evidence-based and say like how can we uh, reduce and then end homelessness in Saskatoon and so that's been a stated goal in Saskatoon for about three years now is that we really are wanting to reduce and end homelessness and so um, we have 17 uh, housing first case managers that work across different agencies in our city that work to house uh, and stabilize whether individuals or families. We've got uh, a great shelter system in our community. We've got really good work being done on the ground, but then with um, you know, case managers you know, not being able to show up at work at White Buffalo or at the Indian Métis Friendship Centre or some of the community agencies because their doors are closing and, and uh, in response to this current situation. And then it, uh, it, with shelters telling us that they'd reduce capacity in order to have social distancing within the shelters, you know, we had to sort of really scramble. Um, you know, there's some days we just really felt like we were flying by the seat of our pants, but we had to scramble and come together and say, okay, you know, we felt like we were doing really good work up until this time. We were seeing homelessness uh, really tackled and we were seeing, you know, large numbers of individuals and families housed and stabilized uh, for the first time. But then that whole system sort of, I don't want to say it fell apart, but it, you know, it stopped being able to be active in many of the ways that it was active due to this current scenario around COVID. Wow. Um, so, like, I'm just picturing one of those days where, um, you know, you think you, you're doing all right. And, and I can I can empathize because we're, I work at Sherbrooke, mm-hmm. uh, we're a long-term care center. Yeah. We, you know, just when we were starting to think, okay, we've, we're starting to get into a groove a little bit and then mm. you know, a, a change would happen and then we've got to make a whole bunch of changes um so i can definitely empathize with that mm. when 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 the the hub at white buffalo first opened then and you started to see people what what were you hearing from from people in saskatoon in terms of like the, the supports that they needed and yeah. and you know what when you were talking with them like what what was that like for you chris yeah i mean uh some of the individuals came in were individuals that i had known uh in the community and helped helped serve personally or some of the different case managers so to back up a little bit we had um initially eight individuals eight case managers working each day at the hub and uh they were uh, reallocated from agencies across our city so very generous for agencies to say you know what our doors aren't open um you know because of what we're hearing the guidance we're hearing from the government and and health authority and things like that um but we want to make sure our staff are still available to serve and so you know we weren't as coordinating the hub um you know we're, we're paying staff to be there people were reallocated from their agencies their agencies were continuing to pay them but to do work that we were now coordinating in the hub and, and, so, and what kind of agencies were those people like i know eight saskatoon is one right eight saskatoon uh quint um john howard uh stc white buffalo uh salvation army um i want to do a full list because I feel like I would just inevitably <laughs> miss one or two. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, like there was multiple agencies across our city, and uh, you know whether it was one individual showing up or a whole team of in- out Saskatoon. Uh, we've had you know a, a huge turnout. And, you know, I sent this email. I re- remember the day I sent it. Um, it was about two 
two, three days, because this all happened, you know, incredibly fast. Um, and I sent this email about three days before and said, you know, on Monday we're opening two hubs and I'd like to ask you to reallocate some of your staff yeah. to come work for me at these hubs. And I was like, what chance is this actually going to happen, right? Like, um, you know, I sent this, uh, you know, to, to, you know, non-profit sector across our city and thought, you know, well, cross my fingers, maybe I'll get like two or three people, yeah. and, you know, but, you know, right away on Monday, you know, at that point we were opening two locations with eight staff each at each location. And on Monday we were, we were almost full staffed. I think we had 14, uh, 14 people between the two locations. And how, so how did that make you feel? Really amazing. I mean, I, you know, I've been around Saskatoon. I know the community. I know the work that's being done. Um, I know how passionate people are and you know, people do this work because they care about their community. They do this work because they uh, want to see a difference in our community because they have a desire to see people housed and stabilized and, and live in a community where everyone's included. And uh, often, you know, homeless people, people who struggle with homelessness, you know, they've fallen through the cracks really through no fault of their own and uh, I think anytime you've worked in this community you see that and you get a passion and you you want to see systems change you want to see individual circumstances change and so um you know it, it felt really good to see that all come together and uh come together so quickly so then um you've got both places staffed and uh I, I sort of interrupted you back there because I, I was interested but like when when you were talking, especially maybe some of the people that you knew already that were coming to you, like what what were they telling you? Yeah, so I mean, um, there's a segment of homelessness in our in our in our community that looks like people who are uh, what we call hidden homeless, and so hidden homeless doesn't look like someone showing up downtown at a shelter um, and needing an emergency shelter service. Hidden homelessness often uh, looks like single moms and children uh, who are couch surfing in some very vulnerable situations um, and uh, go from place to place to place, sometimes for two or three nights at a time, sometimes just simply one night at a time. And uh, using those personal connections and relationships, and there's a lot of vulnerabilities that are built into that whole scenario, um, but but using that, and, uh, and, and maybe we should cross because of the traffic here, but uh, they, they you know, and, and so what we actually started seeing really quickly was um, people coming to us saying, you know, I've been staying with friends or cousins or family or an individual that I knew that I was able to make an arrangement with. And now because of the fears around uh, the coronavirus and, and everything, you know, people have you know, kicked me out. And so they weren't staying there. Um, it, they weren't housed there anyways. They were uh, couch surfing in those locations, but we were seeing a lot of people out trickle out onto the street that, um, you know, were in vulnerable, vulnerably housed. Uh, um, and, and now because of that, uh, people, you know, the, where they'd made those arrangements, it just simply can, couldn't continue. Okay, so um, y you, you give a really good scenario there where, where someone has been couch surfing and then because of fears around COVID-19, they're, they're looking for a place to go. So then they, they come to you, Chris, they come and, and not just you, but other services. Mm -hmm. um, how, how do you then set them up for, to have some success and, and just to find a, 
you know, maybe it's a place to stay tonight or tomorrow night and, and stuff like that. How do you go about doing that? Yeah, so uh, really quickly, I mean, I, I really appreciate the shelter system we have in our city, but the, their hands were tied in the fact that they were not able to increase capacity whatsoever. I mean, in the winters, they often do. Um, a part of something called the cold weather strategy where shelters across uh, Salvation Army, the YWCA, uh, the Lighthouse, all increase uh, shelter capacity, you know, when it gets to the really frigid temperatures in our community. Um, but in this situation, uh, the safest guidance that uh, shelters were hearing from health officer and things like that was, you know, don't increase capacity. In fact, you know, try to reduce it wherever possible. And so uh, shelters had to, um, you know, figure out how to set up uh, beds, you know, that could be socially distant from each other um, and things like that. And so we really, really uh, quickly found that when people showed up at the hubs, we couldn't do what was commonly done, which was try to arrange for a shelter stay for them, sometimes three to five nights at a time, and then, um, and then work Toward, and then work towards housing them. That just simply, that, that those those shelter stays weren't available. The capacity uh, was eaten up really, really quickly. And so um, we started to uh, work with, you know, we had a really great team of uh, case managers, housing first case managers that I'd mentioned a couple minutes ago. They came together and said, well, this is what we do best. We, we house people and we take people often out of shelter or out of these emergency uh, provision uh, places and work to get them into housing. We don't have the ability to do that, so we're sort of leapfrogging over that and, and looking to house them directly. And so we were providing, uh, the case managers began to do that work. Now, often the steps required for that is, you know, somebody on assistance. Um, someone's been hidden homeless. Often social services hasn't approved them to be on assistance for whatever reason. And, the, you know, the reasons for that are, are I mean, there's a, a whole course of reasons why uh, that would happen. It's really individual by individual and case by case. Um, so we, we, um, we, we began to work with social services now. Uh, you know, we've had our battles with different levels of government. Uh, one thing they were able to do, though, was give us a direct line to a worker who would just simply answer direct calls all day long from the hub. And so we had a direct line to social assistance. That worked really good. And I definitely want to commend uh, the ministry for doing that for us. That worked really well so that when an individual would come in, if you were homeless and you came in, to see me or one of the case managers at the hub, you know, Eric, I could say, um, you know, what are your needs? Are you on assistance? Let's get you on assistance. I could pick up the phone, call a worker that I knew wasn't going to be, you know, never return my call and not get back to me and within days or even weeks because that person was just simply there to answer the call from the eight case managers that I was working with on a single day. So that worked really well. You're listening to episode 10, season two of YXE Underground. My name is Eric Anderson. My guest is housing advocate, Chris Randall. You can subscribe for free to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. 
You can also stream this episode on Spotify or on the website at yxeunderground.com. And if you have time, please feel free to leave a review of the podcast. I would greatly appreciate it. You can find YXE Underground on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, which is where you'll see some great photos of Chris taken by podcast photographer Janelle Wallace. In the first part of our conversation, you heard Chris go through the details of all that it took to get these two hubs up and running to help Saskatoon's homeless population. It amazed me how quickly our community organized to help those in need, but it also meant for some long days for Chris. For 12 years, he has called the Riversdale neighborhood home with his partner and daughters. He's given a lot of himself to help those in need, and that's only been amplified during this pandemic. I started the last part of our conversation by asking Chris if at any time in the last two months he has felt overwhelmed. Yeah, I think, um, you know, in the middle of a global pandemic, in the middle of a situation where uh, we're trying to serve uh, the most vulnerable people in our community, uh, in the middle of uh, a time where, uh, you know, things are unknown, um, they're talking about opening uh, Saskatchewan, I think, starting Monday or rolling out some of that in the middle of, you know, it, it, it all can be overwhelming. I think some of the ta- some of the time, the th- the sort of saving grace on it is it you know the need to get this all up and running and the need to uh, move forward with this work really has meant that I've had to keep my head down and focus on the you know immediate thing right in front of me and that maybe is a little bit of a saving grace to sort of look stepping back and seeing oh my god what's happening you know when you start to hear around the world and even other places in the country where there's hot spots um you know that's that's you know a pretty intense thing to have to process um um you know i felt like uh the first when we when we first kicked this off i was going 150 percent um you know 200 percent you know doing 14 hour days to try to get the location started and that wasn't sustainable and so um after about a week um that needed to happen because we were going from zero to launch you know incredibly quick um that needed to happen but then um after we launched and then another uh the second week i did you know more reasonable about an eight hour days that week but towards the end of the week I spoke to some of the team and said you know I'm going to actually take a, a long weekend and rest and I've 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 done community work long enough to know that you don't help anybody by you know um, burning yourself out and burning yourself out really quickly and I've encouraged our team to do that we encourage you know we we shut down over Easter weekend and we um, have been really clear with our team um and our teams that are working at, at, at the hub that, you know, self-care during this time, time with your family, time uh, for yourself is really important. And that's the case always when you're doing community work. That's your case always when you're working with vulnerable individuals in high-need situations, but that much more in, in the face of a global pandemic. Is that something that you had to learn the hard way, hard way when you first started your career in terms of helping the community? 
Yeah, I mean, I came out of uh, uh, university very young, very idealistic in my early 20s and started working youth work and, and stuff like that in the community. And so, I mean, at that point in time, you can go, you can run hard and stuff like that. I'm in my mid to late uh, 30s now, and so can't do what I did when I was 25 for sure. So, yeah, you, um, learn, that, you learn those things. And yes, We, we were talking uh, before we got rolling um, about... Uh, your daughter braiding your beard because for uh for people that um like you you have a stunning red beard and your and so your your daughter i saw some pictures it's on facebook my mom, mom I, my mom's irish heritage for that I, i'm just wondering how um how important is it to you know at the end of at the end of some of these busy days to go home mm-hmm. to your family how important yeah. is that for you super important i would be able to do what i do without my kids and without my family and and without their support and i love my kids like uh you know we we go out and we bike around the neighborhood and up the trail by the river and that's that's my self-care spending time with my kids and things like that that's super important to me um this is uh you know that it's yeah it's may 2nd right now this isn't going away anytime soon and i'm i'm wondering um from your perspective what what do you what what would you like to see maybe in terms of supports as you know, as we go into summer now, what what do you need, Chris? Yeah, so I think what we need is we need more access to housing. We need more access to affordable housing. Uh, we'd had some conversations with uh, the province where they were um, they were uh, looking to provide, you know, SASC housing and things like that was looking to provide, and we know they have hundreds of vacancies across our city. They literally, um, in having, I think the number that I was given initially was they have over 200 vacancies vacancies across Saskatoon and we need that to access the uh, for access to get people out of homelessness and into housing we have the supports in place we have the uh, skill in place where, where we can house them and we can provide wraparound services this is what our housing first team does um, we provide those wraparound services and, and we house people and we help whether it's an individual or a family we help them stabilize we take a very client-centered approach um, in housing first we provide wraparound case management and supports we do this all well and we've got a long track record of doing this well um you know there was always a high need for this to happen but that much more in the situation that we find ourselves in now um and finding out that there was 230 vacancies across the city in, in you know, government-owned housing, in, in social housing in our, in our community, I thought, oh, great, we're going to really have an opportunity to get the homeless community into some of these uh, situations. They've literally allocated 10 units for us. And so that's a huge letdown and, and something that we're very frustrated. Now we're pushing back on that. We've got some support um, from, our, you know, community agencies are, are pushing back from that with a bit of a coordinated voice um, you know I think the the mayor's office here in Saskatoon Charlie Clark's office has been really good in pushing that some of that with us um, but you know it's really disappointing that that uh, you know that even right now in the middle of a global pandemic that uh, often their last thought is you know what can we do for homeless in, in in Saskatoon and not only I mean my focus is here in Saskatoon but I know this is an issue you know Regina PA North Balfour across our province and 
hearing some of that, and I don't don't want to sort of represent myself as being able to speak to some of those scenarios, but they're they're dealing with very much the same scenarios that we're dealing with, and uh, yeah, we've gotta we've we've gotta be able to do that. Um, you know, you would think that in the middle of a global pandemic, that that you know people would come together. When I hear you know release plans that focuses on how we're going to make you know people able to golf and things like that, I get a little bit cynical and say like, really, that's the focus right now in writing up rules for golfing when we've got people homeless um, with nowhere to go and uh, we, you know we've got our community agencies stepping up in a way that um, you know other communities have multiple other communities have really said to me like this is amazing and it's amazing to see this work come together it's amazing to see um, what you're doing we really wish that you know we could be as coordinated and, and innovative as you are and then on the other hand we have our government <clears throat> provincial government continue to drag its feet in some very real and, and troubling ways. So. It's hard work what you're doing um, and I, I'm wondering this last question for you because you've been really generous with your time. Um, it, it is hard work what you're doing but how, how do you know when you've had a, a good day? I think when we've had a good day, it's those small victories. When someone walks in, I mean, my third day here, I spent five, six hours uh, talking to social services and had to run up all the way up the flight pool, but I was able to get somebody who just got out of treatment housed. And, uh, you know, a good day is when I can walk home and I can, I can go home, uh, you know, spend time with my partner, spend time with my kids, and I can know that we've seen people housed. And, and you know, a good day comes down to the individuals and were we able to help them were we able to you know respond to their needs and in an effective way and get them housed and get them uh, get them stable and you know they're just as aware of the situation of uh, the pandemic and the virus and things as you and I are and have the same fears but they don't have the same level of support and I can't imagine I can't put myself in shoes I'm I'm too privileged um, to know what it would be like <clears throat> To, to hear about the virus but not be able to go home at night to the safety of my own, you know, four walls inside my own house and, and isolate and, and things like that. And so um, a good day for me is, is, is you know, helping, uh, you know, seeing, seeing you know, because I'm taking more of a coordinator role right now, but seeing our case managers having the numbers that they're housing, the numbers that they're supporting, the numbers that they're moving forward out of homelessness and into a secure place. Thank you for your for your time and thank you for your work and I know it's not just you it's it's a whole it's a whole army of people. <laughs> it's, army of people. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Chris, so much and, and best of luck with everything. Thanks, Eric. Thanks. It's been great having this conversation. My thanks to Chris Randall for taking the time to appear on the podcast. And if you want to learn more about the work that Chris and his many colleagues are doing, please visit Saskatoon Interagency Response.ca. This has been episode 10 of season 2 of YXE Underground. I'm Eric Anderson. I host, edit, and produce this local independent podcast. Subscribe for free to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. And you can also stream all episodes on Spotify or on the website yxeunderground.com. 
You can find Waxy Underground on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and that's where you can see some great photos of Chris Randall taken by the fantastic Janelle Wallace. Thank you, Janelle, for sharing your talents with us. I also want to thank my cousin, Andrew Dixon, for creating all the music that you've heard in this episode, and the good folks at Danger Dynamite here in Saskatoon for maintaining the website. That was a really loud motorcycle. There we go. And before I go, I quickly want to give a shout out to Christy and Kyle at the Hollows Restaurant. And the reason why I'm doing that is uh, the Hollows Restaurant announced a few weeks ago that they are closing their doors. And uh, the Hollows holds a special place in my heart because uh, five years ago, my wife and I, uh, we got married in our backyard and then we had the party, the wedding party at the Hollows. And uh, it was one of the best nights of my life. And Kyle and Christy and the entire Hollows crew made us feel so at home. And uh, we, we've, we've gotten to know them uh, over these last five years and they're just wonderful people. And uh, I'm really gonna miss the Hollows a lot. I, I still think it's it's the best food you can find anywhere in Canada, but um, I'll just I'll just miss going there. Um, but I'm really excited to see what Kyle and Christy do next. So uh, if you're listening, Kyle and Christy and the entire Hollows crew, uh, congratulations on just an amazing run and can't wait to see what you do next. I would like to acknowledge that this interview was done on Treaty 6 territory and the traditional homeland of the Métis. Waxy Underground is a production of the Salt Hammer Production Company. My name is Eric Anderson. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon, Saskatoon.